Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke 19? And we have come to the passage that includes verses 28 through 44. From that passage, I'd like to bring you a message that I call simply the King of Peace. Christ has been making his way to Jerusalem, as have Jews from around the world, because it's the Passover season here in this text. Of course, Christ will be crucified during Passover. So he's made his way then through Jericho and all along the way through the villages and the byways, the crowds gathering to follow Jesus into Jerusalem have greatly increased. Historians such as Josephus tell us that Around 2 million Jews would have been in Jerusalem at this point in time for the Passover. 2 million worshipers. Of that, other historians estimate that about a quarter of a million, 200 to 300,000, were pressing about following Jesus. Most of them anticipating that the kingdom will come when Christ enters into Jerusalem. He has been preaching and teaching the people all during his public ministry about the importance of humility, teaching them that self-righteousness, of course, cannot save us. The law was not designed to save, only to convict and then point us to our Savior. He's demonstrated his power. The Son of God has come. Wherever he is, a little bit of heaven surrounds him. His credentials as the Son of David, the Son of God, Messiah, they're, un they're unquestionable. But he has his detractors, his enemies, and the people have for some time been at this spiritual crossroads. Can I save myself? Can I design my behavior so that I know I have to please God and I can do it myself? Or is that impossible? Must I repent? Must I be a part of a spiritual kingdom before I can enter in as a citizen of the earthly kingdom? Well, of course, Christ has been preaching and teaching that you have to come into the spiritual kingdom, confession, repentance, before you can be a part of the physical kingdom. Now he's been defied and despised by the Pharisees and others, especially leaders of Judaism, because it takes away their importance when he stands against Judaism. So here's Christ, at the middle of all of the attention, headed into Jerusalem, and he is not far away 
from the city. Great anticipation. He's going to walk in there as a king. He will immediately have an army. He's going to overthrow Rome. That's what most people think. They think that because they don't understand that self-righteousness cannot save us. They believe they can just walk right into the kingdom and bypass the cross. The atonement. The imputed justification that only God can give us. We cannot give it to ourselves. So does he come now as the king of war? Does he come as the king conquering the nations, the Gentile powers? Or is it God's design that he comes as a king of peace? With all of that in mind, let's consider these things. God himself in the person of Jesus Christ is entering Jerusalem. And God in Christ demonstrates his omnipotence and especially his omniscience in this event. So let's look at it. We start with Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Because that's, that's the established plan and purpose of God hundreds of years before the so-called triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So from Zechariah, be exceedingly happy, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king shall come to you. He is just and victorious, humble and riding a donkey and a foal, the offspring of one of she donkeys. Hundreds of years earlier, through the prophet, God said the king would first come as a king of peace, not as a king of war. Now in the greater context of Zechariah, Zechariah writes and prophesies about the events that surround the second coming and then the powerful second coming of Christ when he does come as conqueror, as warrior, as king to put down his enemies and these very ones in Jerusalem are written about when Zechariah would say they will look upon the one whom they pierced. But first, he comes riding a donkey. Now that means he comes in peace. This is a thing of culture gone by in another time, in another way. A king comes into a city, he comes perhaps to visit another king. He rides a donkey and not a white horse. He doesn't come as a, a, a commanding warrior to declare war. He comes in peace. So we start with Zechariah and the prophecy which gives us, continuing to give us, is continuing to give us the plan of God, the purpose of God, the timetable of God. All right, with that in mind then, Let's go ahead and see here, beginning in verse 28. Having said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And so this just follows what we just studied last time. It came to pass as he drew near to Beth Phagai and Bethany toward the Mount called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead 
in which entering you will find a colt having been tied on which of men no one has sat and having untied it, bring it. And if anyone asks you, why do you untie it? You will say, because the Lord has need of it. The omniscience of God. A colt, an arrangement, a time, perfect timing. The Lord needs that colt. Then having departed, those having been sent, found it as he said to them. Then on their untying the colt, the masters of it said to them, why do you untie the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they led it to Jesus. And having cast their garments on the colt, they put Jesus on it. The plan and purpose of God, the omniscience of God in Christ, headed to the cross, coming as the King of Peace, culminating what would be the first coming of Christ. That part of the plan of God in the Old Testament that even the disciples of Christ had defied and did not believe. Though the vast portions of Scripture talk about a suffering Messiah, they just want to bypass that because they want to see the King do away with the Romans. So they cast their garments on the colt, put Jesus on it. So that takes us then back to Psalm 118 and 26. Blessed be he who has come in the name of Yahweh. We have blessed you in the name of Yahweh. Another part of the plan of God is that the one who is coming comes with the full authority of Yahweh, of God Almighty. He comes in absolute authority from heaven. So we continue here. Then as he was going, they were spreading their garments on the road. Then as he was already drawing near at the descent of the Mount of Olives, all the multitude of the disciples began rejoicing to praise God in a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King coming in the name of Yahweh, in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now that word peace, from the perspective of God, is an all-consuming and very powerful word. Before, before there is peace in heaven, then men must be reconciled to God. There must be peace with God in a spiritual sense. Not only that, to take it further, before there's peace in heaven, before there's peace on earth, there has to be peace in Jerusalem. That's why the psalmist says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's praying for the second coming of Christ. Let me inform anybody, and I'm sure that all of the world leaders tune in to Shiloh Baptist Church every Sunday. Or if they're busy, they'll pick us up on the archive. You will not establish peace in Jerusalem. My hate to say that. Only Jesus can do that. Only the Son of David. Only Christ the King. There will be no peace in Jerusalem. Thus, there will be no peace on earth. In a physical sense. Until Christ 
comes as the king of kings and imposes this peace, finally defeating all of the Gentile powers, all the nations of the world. So here they're crying out, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. First, there has to be reconciliation between God and man before there is any other kind of earthly peace. Thus, the spiritual kingdom. So then Christ comes to die for us and is our peacemaker. He is, he is our, our daysman is what Job calls him. He's the referee. There is, Job said, there is no daysman betwixt us. He saw God is so high and himself is so low. What's between God and me that can join our hands together? Christ. I know that my Redeemer lives. The Goel, the, the, the Redeemer, he would say in another part of Job. He got it. So first, there has to be this reconciliation between God and man. This is not completely accomplished and fulfilled until the Lamb of God dies on the cross and takes away the sin of the world upon himself. So this is a heavy and all-consuming word, this word peace, when it's found in the Bible. But you'll notice here that the disciples, his disciples started this thing. The multitude of the disciples began rejoicing, praising God. And then they cry out to the crowd, he has the full authority of God. Blessed is the king coming in the name of the Lord. That's a Hallel psalm. That's a, that's a messianic psalm. Psalm 118. There's no doubt in anybody's mind who had studied it in those days and today that it's a reference to the Messiah, the Christ of God. So here is this, and Jesus does not rebuke them. Jesus had never, ever accepted anything like this coming up to this time. He never, as a matter of fact, if you remember, we've been going through Luke, and I know you've memorized every sermon for these past three years. He rather rebuked those who tried to make him king. Shut up. This is not the time. I don't want to stir these people up like this. This is not the way I'm going to be the king. He never, ever allowed this until now. Because of God's plan and perfect timing and purpose that had already been written in the Old Testament as we're seeing going through this passage of scripture. So, 2 Kings, why cast their garments? Here it is. It was a principle established in the Old Testament among God's people whenever they, whenever they uh, submitted themselves to the authority, whenever they deferred to the king. And here it is. The people back in 2 Kings chapter 9, they hastened and each one took his garment and they put them under him on the top step and they sounded the shofar and said, Jehu has become king. In other words, they were proclaiming the true king. And in spreading and putting their garments out, they expressed their deference. They expressed their submission to the authority of this king. This is what the disciples of Jesus start doing. Other people start doing it as well. They are, they say, oh, he's the king. He's the king. He's the king. 
Jesus never denied that. Not now. He's not going to deny that now. Because he is on target to do exactly what heaven's king has to do. He has to fulfill what must be fulfilled in the first coming before he can demonstrate his power and his glory in the second coming. Okay? So, there's a principle that is established to this whole thing is by the plan of God. The omniscience of Christ. These things, this is just not random things. The screaming stones. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And answering, he said, I say to you that if these will be silent, the stones will cry out. There's a biblical principle in the Old Testament. Let's look at it. It's in Habakkuk. It talks about the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans built their empire on, on the blood and suffering and imposed violence of other nations. They, they built themselves up by destroying other nations. So they left behind these wrecked villages and cities and nations and their stones had been crumbled and torn down and the great wrongfulness of the Chaldeans what they had done to people was seen in the wreckage they'd left behind and so the prophet says a stone shall cry out from the wall and a chip shall answer it from the beam judgment will come just by looking at what had happened to these cities and villages because of the violence of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Woe to him who builds a city with blood and establishes a city with injustice. Behold, is it not from Yahweh, from the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies? And peoples shall toil until they are sated with fire. And nations shall weary themselves only for vanity. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh. As the water covers the seabed. Violence and injustice in the current age will not stand. All righteousness will be imposed and fulfilled finally at the second coming of Christ. So... Christ is going into Jerusalem. His enemies are saying, tell them to shut up. You're not the Messiah. You're not the king. Tell them to be quiet. Christ is saying to them, listen. They can shut up, but let me tell you, we're going to see it here in just a second. Let me tell you what's going to happen in a few years. Because of your injustice. Because of your bloodthirstiness. They're going to kill the Son of God. This city will be torn apart. Not one stone left upon another. And these stones will scream against you for what you've done. So let's look at it.
As he drew near, having seen the city, he wept over it. Very powerful Greek term. He sobbed. He shook with sobbing. And he said to the city, as it comes into full view now, if you had known in this the day, even you, the things for peace. You're crying for peace. You don't know what brings peace. You've rejected the Son of God. You've rejected the salvation that comes by only the first coming of the Christ. The sacrifice of the Messiah. That has to happen first. People have to be spiritually reconciled. Brought into a spiritual kingdom. Before they can be so reconciled that they would be brought into a physical kingdom. So Christ says, you don't know what peace is. You don't understand peace with heaven. If only you had known the things for peace. What are they? He'd been preaching it, teaching it. Repentance. Repent and believe the gospel. All the way through the gospel accounts. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom now is a spiritual kingdom. You must come into the spiritual kingdom. You must understand that you cannot save yourself. That only heaven's Savior can save you. And he has to go to this cross first. Before he does that, he has to die for you. If only you would know the teaching and the preaching for these last three years. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you that your enemies will cast a barricade around you and they will surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you and your children within you to the ground and will not leave a stone upon a stone within you. The historian writes that that's exactly how it happened. 66 AD, the Jews rebelled against Rome. 70 AD, General Titus Vespasian marches with multitudes and legions of Romans. He just builds a wall around the wall. So, going to wait them out. Terrible things begin to happen to them. Somebody tries to breach that wall, they die. His instructions, his orders from Rome were this, simply this. Stamp those people out. Stop this and utterly put an end to it. It took five months. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews, men, women, children died, slaughtered, starved to death, burned up. As was the Romans' way, they came in then. There was no body left to fight. Nobody had the strength to fight. Weak, most of them dead or dying. The Romans ransacked the whole place, tore the walls down, except for what's called the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, except for that wall. Tore all the stones down, 
the grandeur of the temple, all of this thing was gone, torn up, torn down. You see, at the ascension, in a physical sense, God had left the building, namely the temple. There was no presence of God there. They killed him. But he rose again. And upon judgment, judgment upon them, the king from heaven who came to usher peace said, you don't know what peace is. If only you had known the things for your visitation, in your visitation for your peace. If only you had known the things for peace. But they're hidden from you. You won't believe your hearts are hardened. You're depending on yourself to save yourself and you cannot save yourself. And I'm telling you, the stones are going to cry out just like they did against the Chaldeans. Because destruction is coming to this place and stone upon stone will be torn down. You see, essentially what Christ is saying is, this is God's judgment against you because of what you did to the Son of God. Tear it down. No wonder Jesus wept. He came to his own. And his own received him not. Uncontrollably weeping and sobbing over the city. Earlier in Luke, you may remember, the place that killed the prophets. Knowing that there were men and women and children all scattered out through that place. And he wept. If only you had known the things that really make for peace. So what they thought of as his coronation, he came on a donkey, a king of peace, not to conquer the Romans, not this time. That coronation now becomes condemnation. Look at this from Daniel. Plan of God, purpose of God. Seventy weeks of years have been decreed upon your people and upon the city of your sanctuary, temple, the temple, to terminate the transgression and to end sin and to expiate iniquity to bring in eternal righteousness and to seal up vision and profit and to anoint the most holy. And you shall know and understand that this is, understand this, this is 70, seven-year periods. They run one right after the other until the end of the 69th and the 70th is separated from the 69th. You shall know and understand that from the emergence of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed king shall be seven weeks. And for 62 weeks, so there's seven and then add 62 to that. It will return and be built street and moat. Malachi completed the Old Testament at the end of those, that, first, that uh, first set there. The 49 years, the seven, Shabbat, the seven weeks of years. It'll return and be built street and mobile, but in troubled times. Now, this is the one I want to point out. After the 62, which followed the 7, which means after the 69, are you with me? Messiah will be 
Kahara. Destroyed. Cut down. Murdered. Killed. To have nothing for himself. He will not establish the physical kingdom at that point in time. Because he came to die. And they did it. Messiah will be cut down. Why didn't they ever read that and believe it? And the people of the coming ruler, that's the Antichrist, will destroy the city, the sanctuary, and his end will come about by flood until the end of the war. Horrors are determined. So those 483 years that were prophesied here, the end of the 69th seven-year period is precisely the time when Christ was crucified. Now there is yet a seven-year period unfulfilled. But what marks the end of the 69 is the destruction of Messiah when he came the first time. So, in which place you knew not the season of your inspection. You see that word, episcopes, epi means upon, scopos means to look. We get our word overseer or bishop from that word. The Bible says at the end of it that he will rule, he will pastor. The word is pastor. He will pastor with a staff of iron. Heaven's great prophet, heaven's great priest, heaven's great bishop, heaven's great king had come in this season as an official visitation to inspect the Jewish people. They didn't even know who he was. And they killed him. You knew not the season of your inspection. What's a terrible thing? Not to recognize the presence of Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can't do that unless you're given the divine unction, unless you're given the convicting power from the Holy Spirit to bring you into a knowledge of personal sin and need for confession and repentance of sin. Maybe you're here today and today you are feeling the, the presence of the inspecting Lord. Here are the things that make for your peace with God. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus Christ. Call on Him to save you. And come by 
Faith, repentance, confession. To be saved by the grace and power of God. In just a moment, we'll sing our song of invitation. If you're here today without Christ and you would come today, you come. Let me pray with you. Maybe you're here, you've already been saved, but you want to follow the Lord in baptism. You come. Finally, maybe you're here, you're already a Christian, and you've been baptized by believer's baptism, and you want to come and be a part of this fellowship. We'll take care of all of those details. You come as well, if that's what God wants in your life. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and come as the Lord leads?